This year's biggest piece of defense legislation passes through Congress on the way to President Biden's desk. What are the major policy issues highlighted in the bill? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. Only in Washington must we bring a bill to the floor so that we are able to militarily confront China while at the same time embracing the policies that make the United States more like China. And troops should expect their biggest pay raise in more than 20 years. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Friday, December 15th, 2023. First up, Congress sent its annual defense policy bill to President Joe Biden's desk to be signed into law. On this vote, the yeas are 310, the nays are 118. Two-thirds being in the affirmative, the rules are suspended. The conference report is agreed to. The National Defense Authorization Act is the yearly policy legislation needed to approve Defense Department programs and other policies. The legislation, which spans more than 3,000 pages, deals with defense policy the world over. For more on what major provisions are in the bill, Defense News Capitol Hill reporter Bryant Harris joins the show. So, Bryant, lay it all out for us. What are some of the biggest policies in this year's NDAA? The big one that everyone had their eyes on, I would say, were AUKUS. There were four AUKUS authorizations that they needed to implement that submarine sharing agreement with Australia and Britain. The chief one would authorize a transfer of three Virginia-class submarines to Australia in the 2030s, but the Australians are very keen on getting it done this year because they kind of viewed that as a signal that the U.S. was serious and committed to the pact and they'll need several years to, you know, bolster their their own infrastructure for the nuclear submarine enterprise. There are a couple other AUKUS authorizations to make the agreement work, including allowing the U.S. to train private sector Australian personnel to use nuclear submarines. On top of that, another one that would allow the Biden administration to accept Australia's $3 billion contribution in the submarine industrial base. There are also provisions that would loosen the U.S. export control regime, ITAR, on Australia and Britain as long as they pass laws that make their own export control regimes comparable to that of the U.S., And then looking towards Europe, another big one that has slipped under the radar a little bit is bipartisan amendment from Senators Tim Kaine and Marco Rubio that would require the Senate to ratify any withdrawal from NATO. And the backstory behind that, of course, is that former President Donald Trump is once again the front runner in the Republican presidential primary. And both as president and um, reportedly on the campaign trail, he has threatened to withdraw from NATO multiple times. So that's kind of trying to lessen the likelihood that the U.S. would abandon NATO under a second Trump presidency. Thanks, Bryant. The White House issued a statement after the legislation passed the House saying President Joe Biden would sign the bill. But the defense bill isn't just about missiles, submarines, and amphibious warships. It has major impacts on the rank-and-file folks who defend this country, from the newly enlisted 18-year-old to the senior officer about to finish four decades of service. 
Leo Shane III, our Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief, brings us up to date on what exactly troops should expect from those provisions. Leo, first, could you tell us why troops should be excited about future paydays? Yeah, look, the uh, the National Defense Authorization Bill passed. This is a major policy bill that passes every year, and included in this is a 5.2% pay raise uh, for all troops starting on January 1st, first paycheck of next year. So this is the largest pay raise we've seen in 22 years. Um, you know, this is based on some of the inflation costs, some of the, uh, you know, private sector pay costs that, that we've seen in recent years. So it's not like Congress is being generous. This is a federal formula that uh, that is trying to keep military pay in line with what civilians salaries are but still it's a it's a pretty significant boost for uh for folks who are um who are checking out their paycheck it's gonna you know mean about seventeen hundred dollars next year for your uh, for your junior enlisted folks um even more for for some of the some of the more senior enlisted and uh and junior officers about three thousand dollars more for the year for them so a pretty significant pay raise and they'll start seeing that in just a few weeks That's exciting news for service members, yet the pay increase will coincide with a decrease in the overall force numbers. What do those numbers look like when it comes to each service's total end strength? Yeah, we're going to see a smaller military, and we've been uh, we've been seeing this in recent years because of the recruiting problems. Um, Congress is kind of just reflecting what uh, what the recruiting folks are telling them that you know these higher end strength numbers aren't something that they can reach anymore. So you know, just three years ago, we were talking about sixty thousand more troops than than what they're projecting for next year. We're looking at end strength of about one point two eight million uh, folks across the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps, and the Space Force. Uh, Space Force is the only one that will be going up next year. This is a significant shrinking of the force. It's the smallest it's been. It had already been the smallest since 1940. Now it's getting even smaller. Uh, and there's a lot of critics out there saying, look, at a time when Russia is getting uh, problematic, at a time when China is building up its military, North Korea is building up its military, is this really the time to be pulling down on end strength numbers and the number of active duty forces? But counter from Congress is, look, we just can't recruit right now. And it's unrealistic to, to put up high numbers and just hope we get there and then keep failing. Let's try and get to realistic numbers and fill as many spots as we can. Could you tell us what the breakdown of the vote looked like and maybe what some issues Republican and Democratic detractors had with the legislation? Yeah, the uh, the military uh, end strength issue wasn't the only thing in there that, that upset some folks on uh, on both the left and the right. Um, you know, the House passed its version of the defense authorization bill back in the summer. And at the time, it included a whole bunch of social issues. The House Republicans wanted to repeal the military's abortion access policy. They wanted to decrease a lot of um, uh, diversity training within the military. They wanted to ban transgender medical care. A lot of those kind of issues um, that got stripped out when it went over to the Senate Democrats who said, look, we're not going to do this. We want to get a bipartisan bill. We want to get the basics together here, get the pay raise out, get pay reauthorizations through. So those things uh, ended up getting dropped and that enraged a a significant portion of conservatives. Still, there was a a pretty important um, bipartisan vote from both sides here. Um, As you said, it was uh, pretty overwhelming on both the Democratic and the Republican side. There was also some concerns about the FISA reforms in here. There's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that's due to expire at the end of the year. Um, This has now been extended until mid-April. There's a lot of civil liberty folks who are concerned about the the implications of what that that bill does and what those powers are. But uh, House and Senate leaders decided to attach it to this bill to push it through. Uh, lost a couple of votes that way, but in the end, they got both the both that passed and the full authorization bill passed as well. Also on your radar for today, some soldiers are resting a little easier tonight after the Army made a decision regarding an administrative error. 
Army Times senior reporter Davis Winky brings the latest on that decision. So Davis, what was this error that Army officials made and what decision did they come to to fix it? This all started back in September when the Army Cadet Command Inspector General put out an internal newsletter saying that service members who had been enrolled in the green to gold active duty option of ROTC couldn't count their time towards further pay increases or retirement. The problem with that is that these officers claim they'd been promised that time would count toward their pay and retirement later on. You see, active duty option is a system under which these guys and gals were receiving their full pay and allowances as enlisted soldiers while they took two years to finish their degree, go through the ROTC program, and eventually commission as officers. After that newsletter came out, the Army had a big problem on its hand. There are thousands of officers who commissioned via this program, and it's entirely possible that people have had their pay calculated wrong dating all the way back to 2006, not to mention pensions for those who may have already retired since the active duty option was only available to those with enlisted service already. In order to address this, the Army reviewed the records of impacted officers to see whether there was a way that they can help them get out of this. And it appears that they did not have valid cadet contracts, which means that the federal law barring them from having that count, that two years count as time in service and as retirement time, that law might not apply to them. And so the Army has decided, let it be no harm, no foul here. And in your reporting, you've said that soldiers who were impacted by this air could rest a little easier. What exactly was hanging in the balance for them? Yeah, those who thought they might have to pay years of pay differential back to the Army or have to delay their retirement plans are sleeping easier tonight. Time in service is how your base pay is calculated. And the amount of your retirement pension and when you can start drawing it is directly dependent on how long you've been in uniform. So this admin error really did threaten to turn some lives upside down. And officers with whom I've spoken have expressed overwhelming relief that the Army has resolved this in their favor. With that being said... There are two cohorts of green to gold active duty option cadets who are in ROTC right now who have been told, hey, even though you might have joined thinking that this time would count for pay and retirement, it's not going to. The impacted officers are not done yet, they say. They want to see federal law updated so that the current cohorts of cadets who joined thinking they could count the time will get to do so after all. So we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens from here. And now here's some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. In case you missed it, three U.S. Army paratroopers from the 173rd Airborne Brigade became the first non-special operations soldiers to successfully complete the prestigious Lancero School in the South American country of Colombia. Russian President Vladimir Putin questioned the International Olympic Committee's rules yesterday that mandate Russian athletes compete as neutrals at the upcoming Paris Olympics. The IOC recently made a decision that removed the option of a blanket ban due to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. 
And according to the country's defense ministry, South Korea plans to spend the equivalent of $262.8 billion U.S. billion in the next five years to bolster its defense capabilities. And on this day in history, in 2011, the U.S. declared the war in Iraq over. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode also featured stories by Brian Harris, Leo Shane III, and Davis Winky. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.